Well, I met a lady the other day, and the only thing I could describe her as was a joy robber. You meet any joy robbers during the holiday seasons? Maybe you're a joy robber. I was playing with my son with one of my nephews, and I got in this lady's way, and she said to all three of us, get out of my way. My eyes started to twitch. <laughs> but I'm really sorry. You know, during this holiday season, relationships are a big thing, a big issue. I don't know around the table that you said what it looks like, but I want to talk to you about relationships. Maybe they're at work or school, or maybe they're relationships that are far from you. Uh, my family just uh, celebrated Thanksgiving with Crystal's side, and then I'll celebrate with uh, my side at uh, Christmas time, and, and it was a beautiful time. And the older I get, the more I love those moments. It was just such a refreshing time, and the Bible speaks often about relationships. In fact, it's full of a relational help. Fifty-six times in the New Testament, the writers talk about one another that relationships will hold you up, but they also can cause you stress, and the Bible has plenty of solutions for that stress. Here's the big idea. You ready for it? Let it go. Look to a guy near you and say, man, let it go. Go ahead, find a man near you and say, let it go. All right, look to a lady near you and say, ma'am, let it go. Let that go. Let me pray for you today. God, I love you today. I thank you for these people, and they're dear to me in so many ways in my family. And we come to the holiday season, and we talk about hope, and yet sometimes we don't feel hope. We might sit at a table that is a little different than we've sat at before. Maybe it's emptier. Maybe it's tense. Lord, maybe we've caused issues that have created situations, and my prayer is, Help us to be like Jesus. Lord, help us to be a people who can let things go and move on in love. Help us to learn from one another in this season. In your name we pray. Well, I'm glad you made it to church today. I want to share with you something that um, in my life currently drives me crazy. My kids like a song, um, a movie called uh, Frozen. You ever heard of Frozen? So because I have little kids, I have to watch movies like that. I just want you to watch a clip with me of something that I've seen too many times in my life. Okay, can you play that? Let it go, man. Here's the thing. Just let it go. Luke chapter 21, here's what it says. It says, take heed to yourself, lest your heart be weighed down with carousing, with drunkenness, and with cares of this life. And that day would come upon you unexpectedly. My grandpa used to say, carousing at night leads to no good things, right? When it talks about drunkenness, it actually means physical drunkenness, but it also means um, a, a, a stage of your life that's out of control or that isn't, isn't, um, isn't controlled or the cares of life that would, that would weigh you down. And the opportunity you have in front of you is to be in control of yourself and to give that control to the Lord or let that day come upon you suddenly. Another version says this, be careful of your heart being weighed down, that that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. And there are so many things in our world that we medicate ourselves with, smoking, drinking, eating, holidays, screens, social media, scrolling through constantly, checking and rechecking our bank accounts, 
And anxiety, did you know this? Anxiety is kind of the thing that is ruling this age. Everybody's so anxious and worried over the day and tomorrow. We are literally in an age of anxiety. And then you add in the holidays and the stresses, and it just can be too much. Now, let me, let me ask you this question. Do the relationships around you strengthen or weaken your levels of anxiety? All right, now think about this. What if your friends and family answered about you? Do you strengthen or weaken their levels of anxiety? Anxiety is like, like um, I heard, like uh, quicksand. The longer we're in it, the quicker we sink. And the good news is the Bible says that you can be people of hope and faith and, and free of the cares that the world would try to put on you. Now, I don't know what would cause you stress today. Maybe it's uh, money or a, or a job change or illness or a stressful situation that you caused or didn't cause or nonstop social media where you look at other people and have these expectations or You've just moved or you're going to move or you're changing a major at school or a relationship has changed. You were single and now you're married or you were married and now you're single. And income change, a blended families. But nothing stresses us out like the relationships that come and go. Family, friends, marriage, church, coworkers, kids. And it'll affect everything. You get stressed in one area, suddenly it, it has this domino effect to stress you in another and it takes over dreams and hopes and to blow up what you've, what you've built and what the Lord has put together. Let me ask you this. Do you remember the first time that you had relational stress? Remember the very first time? I remember the first time I felt relational stress. I was at a family member's house. I went to the bathroom. I came out of the bathroom, and uh, one of the family members accused me of lighting matches in the bathroom. How crazy would that be? Now, the thing you don't know is my grandpa, uh, he smoked like a freight train. You ever seen anybody that had one cigarette, another in his hand, one in his mouth, one in the ashtray, and you light them off the one in the ashtray? That's my boy here. So it was so stressful in the house that we almost got kicked out of the house because your kid is going to burn our house down to when my grandfather finally said, uh, I, did, I, lit a, I lit a cigarette in the bathroom, we're good. Do you know to this day when I smell a cigarette, I mean a, a match that has been put out, I feel like a little kid standing in that bathroom? How crazy is that? If you want to really mess with me, just put a match out around me, you know? <laughs> it's important that we deal with these things, and ultimately, if that stays with you, it will mess with you. You've got to let it go. And Jesus talked about relational baggage. He talked about uh, right in his Sermon on the Mount, right, right at the get-go. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 5. If you offer your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. What? I mean, think about that. If, in their day, here's the context. They're traveling to Jerusalem four or five times a year, and, and they go before God to worship him. So they're leaving places like Galilee and Capernaum, and, and they're traveling from far away. It's a big deal. And the whole family's coming together, and, and they purchase a sacrifice, and they go and they worship, and they're in front of the priest, 
And as you have done all this travel, you get there, you, you bought your sacrifice, you're going to sacrifice in this Old Testament way, you get in front of the priest and you remember suddenly you wronged somebody. It says, leave, go back to Galilee and be reconciled, reconciled, repaired, re, uh, fixed, uh, rebuilt. Then go back to Jerusalem, get back in line and offer your gift. Think about it like this. Think about it in your world. Let's say you live in Clayton. You get up after eating way too much food this weekend, and you think to yourself, should I really? I don't know, but I'm going to go to church anyway. It's, it's, a, it's what I should do. So I get up, and, and you get up, and, you, and you, you get everybody dressed in your house, and you look outside, and you think, oh, no, it's raining. Okay, we're going we're gonna to brave it anyway. You get in the car. You get everybody in the car, you get driving down 70, you get to, to the parking lot, and you remember they said, everybody park in the lower lot because we're selling the building this week. Just kidding. So then, so then you, you get down in the lower lot, and, and you got to get in with the rain. And so, so, so here you, you get everybody inside, and people are, are fussing, and you finally get them in, and you make your way up the stairs and down the hallway and into worship. And you get here, and, you, and you're worshiping, and you're worshiping Jesus, and you love it, and it's Christmas, and you love Christmas songs, and you, and you love singing the Let It Go. And, and just, it's, just, it's just, oh, it's so good, right? And then you remember, oh, somebody. Darren. Darren seems like somebody you could wrong. <laughs> Remember Darren. You're telling me that I should go out of here, back past the cafe, down the hallway, down the stairs, get all my kids, go in the rain, get in my car, drive myself back home, get them out of the car, go find Darren and make right what I made wrong. Seriously. Then get in the car, do all that, and get back here to worship. You probably won't make it back in time. You can watch online or something. But, like, you're telling, before you just race out of here, because I know some of y'all got things y'all created. Before you, before you race out of here, you say, that's what you're telling us? I'll say, no, that's not what I'm telling you. That's what Jesus is telling you. Like, I didn't write Matthew. You know? He didn't. He took time to say, hey, this is a big deal. You offer yourself when you come to worship you ought to have made it right. So sometimes we can pass these kind of things off like, oh, geez, just, this is ridiculous. But Jesus said, no, if it, you, your worship is invalid at this point if you don't go make that right. But here's the thing, before we all rate, uh-oh. Before, before we make it right, before we make it right, there's a spirit of a way to do it. But we could race out and be like, let me, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, no. Wait a second. There's a spirit of how to make it right. Think about this, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. This is what it says. You remember, you remember where it said, um, be a living sacrifice? And he follows it with this. For by grace I have given you to say to others, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Let me give you four things that are kind of in the spirit of repairing some things in your life, that if you went and made things right from this passage, that I think the spirit of these things would give you the ability to repair some stress and remove some stress and relational issues in your life during these holidays. Here's the first thing I would tell you if you're taking notes. We stay humble, but he instills faith. 
You ever notice that some people, it's so easy for them to trust? Like, they can just trust. Like they, they're just so good at trusting. You listen to Josh and Emily, you think, wow, they're so good at trusting God. It's like, it's like they're, they just, they understand faith, and they're like working their faith out, and it's not just faith without works, because that'd be, that'd be dead, but it's like, it's in action. You know, then there's those other people who think way too highly of themselves. Let me ask you this. If you were going to leave a non-monetary gift, an inheritance to your kids, would you hope they remembered what you thought about you or the size of your faith? What you thought about you or the size of your faith? As each generation is polled, we get more and more and more anxious. Generation Z is, is children 9 to the age of 23, and they are the most anxious generation we have ever had. High levels of loneliness substituted with social media for true friendship and lots of video games, more than the other generation that interact online. They're bombarded with constant self-comparisons. There's this narrowing definition of success as, as, as things have risen and gotten more expensive, incomes have not had kept up as fast. And I want to tell you something. If you watch a lot of news, you'll tend to hate on the younger generations. The body of Christ does not buy into that. The body of Christ should be able to speak truth to one another. And what has happened oftentimes is, the, is because there's so much anxiety, they've shut their ears. But that doesn't mean you can't love a younger generation through it. You can say to them, you can trust God first. And you can ultimately trust him with everything in your life. And I will love you through this with a dose of, dose of faith and encouragement. My, my encouragement to you, younger Christian, is listen to the older ones when they speak to you. Find the ones who aren't hateful. Find the ones that love you and listen. Dig in. Let them speak to you, even when it's painful. Listen. Here's the second thing I would tell you that from Romans is that we extend help, but ultimately he gives healing. Verse 9 says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, but cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful, patient, faithful. Share with the Lord's people. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. If you're in a younger generation and you feel just overwhelmed by anxiety, there are ways to handle. For example, bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Actually be happy for somebody when they put their best out online, you rejoice with them anyway. Mourn with people who aren't doing well. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with those in low position. When Crystal and I bought our first house 
Uh, it was a little tiny house. It was just a cracker box of a house, and we loved that thing. And it was uh, real skinny and real tall, and it just was not, it was weird, but we loved it. The stairway was so narrow that it just was very dangerous, and it just was a great house. And, and so we had this little tiny yard, and we had a neighbor and a bunch of kids beside us. It was, they were just slammed in that house, so like 900 square feet with like eight people or something. And, um, and we moved there. The family was real fun. They had all these little kids. They just, they're so wonderful. And then, I don't know what happened, but mom and all the kids moved out of the house and down the street about 10 houses. And we were on a one-way street, so anytime you had to come to our house, you had to go around past that house and come to our houses. And I remember the guy, the dad, I remember the dad stayed there, and I remember he was a really nice guy, and I remember he was, he was funny, and he was just, you know, a good old farmer-type guy, and he just enjoyed life. And after his wife and kids took off, I watched him get bitter. We would have disputes in the backyard over, th over like, things that didn't matter. He, he, would, he would drink heavily in the backyard where I'd have to, like, corral my kids, and let's, let's go inside because this, this doesn't seem to be good. And I always wondered about him. I don't know who owned what. I don't know. I'm sure they were, both parties had some things. I can't imagine always driving down the road to get to my house and passing who used to be my family. I have to get the mail. I have to, I have to you know, snow, shovel the driveway. There's my kids playing with some other guy on my street. You know what I'm guessing? I'm guessing if it, if it wasn't going to eat him alive, he was going to have to forgive but before it was ever asked of him. When I read Romans chapter 12, that's what I see. I see it as he's telling Christians, hey, you ought to bless those who persecute you. Well, before it's asked of you, you ought to just forgive. Well, before it's asked of you, you ought to bless those who persecute you. You ought to rejoice with those. When life is good for them and not so good for you, rejoice anyway with them. When life is bad but you want to just go on about your good life, mourn. Live in harmony with people. Don't be proud but associate with those who are just not doing so well. Here, here's the third thing. We use discernment, but he repays. We use discernment, but he repays. There's this big difference in our day and age between um, judging and discerning. The Bible tells us God is the only judge. You do not judge other people, but it tells us to be wise and discerning. And you can look at a situation and its outcomes, and you can hold it against the light of the Word. You can look at the Scripture and decide if it's dark or not. And you can look at a neighbor's life who unravels from sin, and you can say, that is sin. And I love you, and by the grace of God, I choose to not travel that path or condone where you're going. But I love you. This is what the Bible says, don't repay evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. But on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, and in doing you will heap burning coals here, here's the fourth thing. We hold the reconciliation, and I'll close this, but he holds the remedy. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 21 says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you hear me? You know what it doesn't say? Do not come, do not be overcome by evil, but come sit in church. No, it says do not be overcome by evil, but overcome it with good. When you worship, worship. And when you have gotten it wrong, go and make it right. And when you can bless and mourn and love those below you, then do that. Man, do it. When you can, when you can give to kids uh, for, for Thanksgiving, do that. When you can give them Christmas presents and they'll remember that one church, do that. When you can look across the table and ask for forgiveness or let it go before it's ever asked, let it go. The deal is that he holds the remedy. The Bible says as the end of times near that Christ holds the keys. And until then, we hold the reconciliation. Let me ask you this. Just in closing, how good at asking forgiveness are you? You ever met anybody that never asked for forgiveness? Maybe that's you. I think Christians ought to be really good at saying I'm sorry. You think? You think the world would soften if we said I'm sorry more often? Let me, let me mourn with you and let me rejoice with you and I'm going I'm to keep all the convictions I have, but I'm going to love you. I'm going to walk with you. How good are you asking forgiveness before it is required of you? When we were at the holidays uh, this past weekend, this past uh, couple of days, I'm standing at the sink and I'm, I'm emptying ice out of a, out of a glass pitcher uh, like a pail, you know, like a, a beach pail, but it was a glass pail. It's an ice bucket, my wife says. <laughs> and what everybody knows is you, you don't use the handle because the handle comes off. Everybody knows that except for Philip, because for 18 years, he's never used this ice pail. And so when I went to dump the ice out, the handle came off, because well, who needs a handle on an ice pail and so bucket? And so when it dropped... I made the mistake of joining to catch it. And when I went to catch it, it hit the counter and then cut my hand. Thank you. So he said, oh, thank you. And my daughter was sitting right in front of me, and her and I handled situations like that exactly the same. We'd get woozy from our heads, and our heart feels funny, and our stomach drops, and our, our toes start to tingle. And so I was trying to focus and not pass out in front of everybody in the whole house. And I was trying to just keep my hand under the water, and I thought we were going to be okay. And then she kept saying this, your hand is bleeding a lot, or I see a lot of blood. <laughs> About the fifth time, I was like, thank you, honey, I appreciate that. She's starting to get pale. I'm starting to feel sweaty. Thank you. And finally, I just, I just kind of let, stop talking. Stop saying that. Don't look at me. Like, hurt myself. <laughs> and she, was, she just kind of drew up like, okay. I got it all solved, and you know, got the sweating to stop and all that kind of stuff. And, and I you know you have that moment where you think to yourself, so, oh, man. I went back over to her and I said, hey, uh, did I hurt your feelings when I, when I was about to pass out and you were about to pass out and kept talking? Did I, did I hurt your feelings? 
No, you didn't hurt my feelings. I hurt your feelings, didn't I? Yeah, just a little bit. That was really mean. <laughs> Thank you. I don't think it was mean. I thought you were inappropriate, but you know. Um, but I bet she'll always remember the time that, for what had happened, right? Daddy almost passed out, but she'll also remember when Daddy came back and said, I'm sorry. When I think about the body of Christ, I'd like to think that we are people who reach out to a world who does not have it figured out, that the day is approaching quickly, and will, the Bible says, catch them like a trap, that they will not be ready for the last days. And I'd like to think that they see people who love them despite the differences in maybe theology or lifestyle, that they, they see people who will say, I got that wrong, I'm really sorry, much quicker than everybody else that they will see us as people who rejoice and bless and mourn with them. And they'll think, now those people give hope. Because a lot of times we walk in and we think to ourselves, I need to have more hope than, than I came in with. And I think the, the Bible is saying, go be people who give hope in the name of Jesus Christ. Be hope-filled and be people who give in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? God, we love you today. Thank you so much for a beautiful Thanksgiving. Thank you for the start of Advent. We talk about hope, that you are literally the hope of the world. God, help us to be people who, for those in here who are older, God, help them to find somebody younger and love them through anxious days. God, for those who are younger, help them to listen to somebody who is older and strong in their faith and been there and done that and seen you be faithful. God, help us to be people who look across the table and can forgive and let it go well before it's asked of us. Never, ever let the devil get a foothold in our lives, Lord, we pray. And God, as we go about these days and we're busy and we're hurried, God, help us to stop in the middle and remember that it's all about you. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.